0: Amen. I'm on. I will take blessings. I will take them, take them, take them. Cuz I need it. Amen. Well, today um I want to I want to start a, a new kind of series. Got a few messages, don't know how long it'll how many it'll take, but I've really felt impressed in my heart to um, talk to us as a family and as a community about worship. And uh, as a people, you know, we obviously we, we do worship a lot, but um, I, I specifically I want to talk about worship and how um, there's a battle when it comes to worship for our soul. And I think it's really important to talk about worship, not just because I'm a musician and I thoroughly enjoy uh, being a worshiper, but I think we need to talk about worship because worship is very important to God. You know, even if we take just a very broad overview of the Bible Um, you can clearly see, it's clearly revealed from the beginning of that holy book to the very end of that holy book that worship is the big idea. You know, since the creation (coughs) of Adam and Eve, God has been searching for believing worshipers. Um, I've been reading a... An author, his name is Dr. Michael Heiser, and he wrote a book. And in that book, he wrote, um, it's called The Unseen Realm. And Dr. Heiser says in that book, he says, The heart of salvation in all of biblical theology across both testaments is believing loyalty to Yahweh. When you look at your Bible from both testaments, God is looking For lovers who will believe him. Unfortunately, there was a major crisis with Adam and Eve, right? They uh, sinned in the garden. They ate from a tree. God said, don't touch it. And when they did that, they got cursed. And they were cast out of the garden to suffer. What's interesting is right after that story, the next major crisis that we read about in in human history is in Genesis chapter 4. And that next crisis was about worship. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now when I read this passage, to me it is a very powerful picture of how God sees worship. See, when I read this passage, I see that God has tied our worship with the battle for our soul. If you do right, you'll have favor like Abel. And if you do wrong, well, guess what? Sin is waiting at the door of your heart. The very heart of worship is our soul, is the battle for our soul. Now, if we were to skip ahead, oh, 1,500 years or so, uh, then we have Moses. He's up on Mount Sinai, and God gives him the essential building blocks of human living, human society. We call them the Ten Commandments. And at the very top of the list, you know, right after God establishes himself as having you know, a preeminent place in the lives of Israel, you know, he says, Thou, you know, the first commandment is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? He's like, I am to have a preeminent place in your life, I'm to be first. It's really what the meaning is, is you will belong to no other god. Number one, he says that right off the bat, I'm the king God. There's a bunch of little gods out there, but I am the king one. I'm the creator God. I'm the unique one. I am Yahweh. That's number one. Then right after number one, at a real close number two, we have our commandment about worship. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. It says, you shall make for your you shall not make for yourself and keep my commandments. I'm grateful I'm on the thousand generation side. So we skip ahead again, let's say 1,400 more years or so. And now we've got the Messiah, Jesus. And he's going doing his thing. He's showing us what God's like and telling us all kinds of cool, neat stuff and In Matthew chapter 22, he gets asked a million dollar question, starting in verse 36. They ask him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Worship, Jesus said, is the first. It's the number one. Now we skip ahead another 95 years or so. And we've got the Apostle John. And he's writing the book of Revelation. And in the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible, John is describing the restoration of Eden at the conclusion of everything. Like this whole thing, it's we are done. (laughs) It's all done, new heaven, new earth, and now he's describing this brand new Eden. Revelation chapter 22, in verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. That's different. No harvest seasons, they're always fruitful. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed. The thing that Adam and Eve messed up will be done. Nothing will be accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, thank God. And His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen. You know, it says in John 4.23 also that there is a time coming and has now come. Everybody say, "Now now it has come. There is a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers The Father seeks. You know, every morning with the worship team, we have a uh, a declaration that we make. And at the end of that declaration, we make a declaration over us and over you. and We say that we are the worshipers the Father has been looking for. Are you the kind of worshiper the Father is looking for? God has been looking for true worshipers since the day he created humanity. You know, another way we could say this verse is God is looking for authentic, genuine, real worshipers. You know, it's interesting um, that the scripture says true worshipers because What this implies is that there must be not true worshipers. But here's what I know. I know that every single human on the planet has been created for worship. It is hardwired into our DNA. And because... Worship is hardwired into our fiber, into our DNA. We know that everybody worships something. Everybody say that with me. Everybody worships something. Every person on the face of the earth is a worshiper. Every day, all day long, everywhere you go, You and I worship. It's who we are. It's what we do. Think of it like this. Worship is simply about value. You know, the simplest definition I think I can give for worship is worship is our response to what we value the most. Say that with me. Worship is our response to what we value the most. That's why worship is the thing that you and I are doing all the time. It's what we're about on any given day because what worship is is it's about it's us saying things like, you know, That this person or this thing or this experience, you know, whatever, matters most to me. It's the thing that I put first in my life. And so that thing might be a uh, relationship that you put first. Maybe it's your dream. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's what people think about you, your status. Maybe it's sports. Some kind of pleasure that you love to indulge in. Whatever name you put on it, this thing or person is what you've concluded in your heart is worth most to you. And whatever is worth most to you Guess what? You're worshiping. Because worship tells us what we value most. And as a result, worship determines our actions. You know, and it becomes the driving force for everything we do. And again... We're not just talking about religious people, you know. We're not just talking about this room, well, we're all worshipers. No, everyone, everyone. We are talking about every living human being on this planet is a worshiper. Every day, there is a multitudes and multitudes of people every day proclaiming with every breath they have what is worthy of their affection. What's worthy of their attention? What's worthy of my allegiance? Proclaiming with every step of their life. Worship. You know, some people, they do attend church. And profess to worship the living God above all. There are some who are... Rarely ever step into a church. And they would say that worship is, has nothing to do with me. Because I'm not a religious person. But I want you to know. Every person has an altar. Say, I have an altar. Have an altar. And on every altar, there is a throne. Say, on my altar... There is a throne. throne. So, how do we know what or where this thing is that we worship? It's really easy. It's not hard at all. All you have to do is to follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy your money, your loyalty. At the end of that trail, you will find an altar. And on that altar, you will find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what you declare is of highest value to me. On that throne, is what we are worshiping. Now, I realize that not many of us are walking around saying things like, you know, I'll worship my stuff, (laughs) my car. I bow down every day. (laughs) Huh? Yeah? No one's saying, well, I worship my husband, though maybe you should. (laughs) I'm kidding. That's a joke podcast, people. I just can't get my wife to address me as Lord. It's weird. I'm like, we're not that far from the Middle Ages. It's really kind of a short period of time. Just put a little English accent in there, my Lord. I call her my lady. I'm like, you my lady. You, my woman. I think turnabout is fair play. I mean, let's, just, let's be equal here, you know? But I realize none of us are walking around saying, I worship my stuff. I worship, you know, this person or that person. I, I worship this pleasure. You know, I worship me. No one says that. But I'm telling you, the trail never lies. Never lies. We may say we value this thing or that thing more than any other. But I want you to know the volume of our actions speak louder than all of my words. And in the end, our worship is more about what we do than what we say. Worship is the activity of the human soul. You know... And not only do all people worship, but we're doing it all the time. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an all the time kind of thing. And so right now, all around us, there are people of all creeds and colors, sizes and shapes, ages. People of every purpose right now, are worshiping something. Right now, there was worship. That was, that was just, and that was worship, and there was worship. Continually, everyone is making decisions based on what they value most. Maybe my Sunday is what I value most, and I won't be there today. My bed, my football, Worship is happening right now, everywhere, all day long. In fact, <laughs> some of the most purest forms of worship are actually outside of this building. And they have no reference to God whatsoever, at all. I mean, all you got to do is go to the next, you know, cool concert that's at Deer Creek. Clips yeah. <laughs> Center, who clips? that german i don't know is it i'm married to a german she doesn't know go to the next concert show up at a sporting event you will see some of the most amazing worship humans are capable of because in those places people are going for it They're lifting their hands. They're shouting like crazy. They're staking their claim. They're standing in awe. (gasps) He hit that three-pointer. They are declaring their allegiance. They paint their big bellies and wiggle it on Yeah, you know, and it's funny because all of those venues, they're actually filled with the same forms of worship that we can read in the Bible. They're right in the pages, everything you see, jumping, shouting, clapping, raising my hands. It's all there. It's the same expression of worship that God desires and that God deserves. You know, some of you may remember Elvis. Hunk of Burning Love. Or the Beatles. Michael Jackson. That was my youth. Some of you may still have Bieber fever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when each one of these artists were at the peak of their career, People could not contain themselves. Go watch some videos of Michael Jackson walking out where people are at. Watch how women acted when the Beatles showed up on the Ed Sullivan show. They were so ecstatic. They were passing out because they were in awe of something. So the next time you're at a basketball event or some concert, watch the worship because you will see it clearly that people will be doing what comes natural for all of us people are doing what you and I are created to do you know in the same way that we're all worshiping you know all the time Because of that fact, you know, because worship is what we do, we're actually really great at it. We're really, really good at worship. Because it is what we're doing all the time. You know, if you think about it, history has known no shortage of worship ever. If you look through the timeline of mankind, it is littered with trillions and trillions of little idols. Every culture on every corner of the earth through every age has had its gods. You know, just travel around the world and you will see worship in every single culture study the great civilizations, explore their temples, there is no shortage of worship on this planet. And so the compelling question we ask is, why? <laughs> why do we crave something to worship? And why do we crave it? Like, Why are we looking for it? Why are, so, are we so insatiably drawn from idol to idol? desperately in need of something to to like celebrate and to champion and exalt something to adore why why are we drawn this way how do we even know that some things are more important than others how do we know what gets our worship what makes something more worthy how do we even know what value is? How do we even know that beauty exists? I mean, I know these are some really existential questions. But I think the answer is pretty simple it's by design. I said we're hardwired, didn't I? It's because we're designed to know these things, it's inherent deep inside of us when god created you and he created me he put in us to know to desire to love to adore something else besides me the bible says it like this in first colossians in colossians first chapter verse 16 it says for by him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. You and I have been created by God. And if that wasn't enough, we've been created for him. And as a result, there is this this internal homing device, that's riveted like deep inside our soul, that that puts this constant, perpetual longing for God our Maker. It's an internal, it's like a like a God magnet pulling us, pulling us. Drawing us towards Him. It's because we've been stamped in the image of God. We know that there is something that we're supposed to be attached to. We know that that there's something that, that we fit with. We know that there is someone we belong to. We know that there is... Somewhere that we should be calling home. That's why we come from the womb. Equipped with connectivity with God. We are pre-wired to praise. And that's why from our very youngest age. We start worshiping. We arrive in this world as objects of God's divine affection. We we are, you know, we are these miraculous receptors designed to bring him pleasure. And, you know, if only everyone could know that we have been created by God for God, what would the world be like? If only we could all comprehend that we are so, so precious to Him. That that our souls are like little mirrors designed to, to reflect His glory. What would happen? We are made to worship God say I am, I am made to worship god and i think we could all agree that people know that there's something more to life again it, when we look back at history and we you know we can see that that people have been searching for something they're looking In Acts chapter 17, uh, Apostle Paul is coming into Athens, and he's, of course, there to proclaim the gospel. And so, you know, he's like right now, he's like in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of the intellectual center of the known world. I mean, that's where he's at, you know. The smartest dudes and, and people are right here. And so... Um, he's right there. He's in Athens. And as he's going through the city, he starts noticing something. He, he realizes that Athens is a city that's full of idols. And I can attest, because I actually got to go there, as you all know. Idols everywhere. And as Paul's walking through Athens and he's, he's noticing all the idols uh, you know he f- he's just he's finding just multitudes of of you know idols of every name every description you know they're all there everything he could just possibly think of until he gets to this one specific altar idol and um, it kind of grabs his heart and it becomes like the focus. Of now, his message to the people of Athens. Because when he comes up to this idol, the inscription on it says, To an unknown God. So let's read in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. It says that Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at all your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So, here's Paul, he's in Athens, he sees this thing, and even with all of their idols, even with all of their altars, you know, these intellectual and cultural giants, they wanted to make sure they covered all their bases. They wanted to make sure all the deities were happy, you know, in case we, you know, missed one. You know, in the event that there was something or someone more, we don't know, we know there's a bunch, we got a lot. And so we have this altar, the unknown, and it stands right there in the middle of them, you know, just in case it turns out there's another object of worship, maybe even superior than all the others. So Paul's in Athens, he's not finding a lack of worship at all. In fact, there was absolutely no apathy. I mean, think about the time and energy it would take to build an idol out of stone to hundreds and hundreds and thousands of gods. So there was no apathy, they just had uncertainty. You know, they were a worshiping people. They were just wondering, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something more. Well, you know, a lot's changed since then. All those idols and altars lie in ruin in Athens. But the thing that didn't change is that we are still people who are searching. We are still humanity looking for something. We're still building altars to everything under the sun. Wondering, for some people, if there's a God that we can even know. Well, here's the good news. God is actually seeking you. You know, every sunset, every blue sky, every solar eclipse, every ocean wave, every starry night, God is blanketing every new day with an invitation that says, I'm here. Here I am. And what's so cool is that it's the kind of revelation that's accessible to everyone. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to see God. He's made himself so clearly visible. God is constantly exposing his creative power to anyone who's just watching. Add that now to the internal magnet that's inside of us. Add that and you'll understand what it means when the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Because somehow we know He's there. Creation that's surrounding us, it's telling us That there's more to this life than just living and dying. And yet, painted skies and a a spinning earth are still not enough to tell God's story. You know, from the magnificence of heaven's hosts to to the miraculous molecules and atoms that we can't even see. They are still an incomplete revelation of who God is. You know, God's face could never be clearly known until one day when Jesus showed up, when Christ appeared. See, Jesus showing up, this is God. Demonstrating that he is on the ultimate search for you and me. He has looked so hard for us, searching us, reaching out to us, that he decided, I'll be like one of you. Coming in human flesh. God coming to the earth to restore everything. To redeem us from our fallen nature. So, ready or not, Jesus came. You know, worthy or not, He appeared. You know, accepting or not, He has put His footprints in the real soil of the earth. It's history, it's a fact, it's inescapable. Jesus came. And in his own words, he came to seek and save that which is lost. God wants us to know him. Searching for him is not like looking for a needle in a theological haystack. He isn't some mysterious force or some philosophical construct. That we couldn't even grasp or attain. In fact, the very opposite is true. Jesus appeared. The Son of God came in bodily form. As the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's the Bible. He walked this earth in plain sight so that Anyone who, who is paying inattention to that magnet on the inside of them could find their way to him. God is not hiding. He's been looking for you and me for a very long time. And do you know why? Because he wants you to know who he is, and he wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know that you personally are the object of his affections. That you were literally created in his image. That you were made by him for him. He wants you to know, he wants me to know, that the unknown God has a name. He wants us to know that the incredible desire for worship that's rooted deep inside my heart, it was actually crafted for him. God is so close to us right now. Right now, he is very close to us. He's near us. You may not feel it, you may not sense it, but it's true. Back in Acts 17 and verse 26, Paul's describing this huge and limitless God. He says in verse 26, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why? Why did God do that? Well, verse 27 tells us, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. So it's no wonder that the whole world is filled with worshipers. Every last one of us has been created with a soul that is searching That we were designed this way by God himself. And because of that, we are never going to find rest until we find our rest in him. You know, if you're someone who has been wrestling with big questions, it's okay. You don't have to be alarmed. If you feel at times like you're just barely inching your way through a murky night, looking for a home, you're not alone. The journey to God is not You know, it's not like hopscotch on a chalk-lined sidewalk. It's more like a continual reaching for someone that our eyes can't see. That's why it's comforting to me to know that God has been seeking me. He's seeking you, too. He's seeking you so that you and I can know just how amazing He is. He's seeking you so you can know why you were created. Why are you here? It's the question we're all asking. Why am I here? He's seeking you so you can find Him so that you can value him with all of your heart. He's seeking us because he's the real God. Capital G with a heart for an O. (laughs) He knows that we can't live without him. I just would ask you, everybody just to close your eyes for a moment. You know, God has been looking for you and I for our whole life. He's been seeking us. He's been reaching out to us. Maybe you're here today and you're one of those people with that big question mark. You're asking, you're seeking, you're wondering, why am I here? Does God love me? I want you to know He says, I love you. I've been looking for you for a long time. I've been reaching out to you. And so if you're here today in this place and you can feel the magnet on the inside of you, you can feel God pulling you near him. I want you to know that's his invitation to you. To worship him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Maybe you're here today and you have never said to God, I want you to be my Savior. I've n- you've never said, I want, I want you to be my God and I don't want any other gods. I want you to be my God. If you're here today and you've said, I've never made him my God, but today I'm, I want him. I want Jesus. If you're here today and that's you, I just need you to raise your hand just up in the air so I can see it. Just really high. You're ready to say, Jesus, I need you to be my personal Savior. I don't want to just know about you, I want to know you truly. Well, that's good. Jesus is near us right now. Now for the rest of us, if you just have felt some conviction in your heart about the little gods you've been chasing after. If that's you and you just you're ready to just once again, one more time, say, I forsake all others for you. If that's you in this place, just stand up and I'm going to pray over you. If you've had some little gods in your life and you're just ready to get just make a clean, just clean house again and just re, just in my heart say, I, I'm going to put these little gods away. If that's you, just stand up and I just want to pray for you. So, Father, I, I repent that I have put other things in front of you. I've put things of higher value. I've esteemed things uh, higher than I esteem you. God, I repent right now for, for giving my life to other pursuits. I repent, God, for, for saying yes to things that put you last. And so, I just, God, I repent for those things. In the name of Jesus, God, I receive your forgiveness for this thing. For putting these little gods in front of you. For having a divided heart. For having multiple lovers in my life. God, I ask you to forgive me today in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive us, God. And right now, Father, I just pray, Father, that you would just pour love upon us again. Remind us of our first love. Remind us of life when we first said yes to you. Remind us of those amazing days. When everything was fresh and new, you were always surprising us. We got new friends. We got a new life. We got new hope. Remind us again what that was like, Father. Remind us again. Remind us, God, of how much joy flooded my soul from the darkness that overconsumed me at that time in my life. Restore that first love, God. We were radical for you. Where We stayed up late and we got up early. We weren't afraid to tell people about you. We weren't afraid to do radical things. We weren't afraid to throw music away that was from hell. We weren't afraid to stop watching those shows and those movies. God, remind us of that place again. Restore that first love place. Restore that first place where we're, we weren't disappointed in you all the time because you didn't do my thing yet. You didn't fulfill my dream yet. You didn't make me you know, famous or awesome or great or wonderful. Whatever, God. That we got so disappointed in you, God. Forgive us for that and restore us. Restore first love. God, make us like David in Psalm 27 where he says, One thing I desire is to behold you, God, to look at you, to see your beauty all the days of my life. Restore to us, God, one thing, God, eyes for only you again. Romance our hearts again, God. Let spring winds come which are a sign of new life in the Bible. Let those winds blow now in the name of Jesus over our hearts. As we are broken or sad or tired or worn out or disappointed, God, come blow on our hearts again. We were created for you, and I say I have been created for you, by you, for your pleasure and for your glory. Just tell the Lord, I am created for you. I have been created for you, by you, for your pleasure. Thank you, Jesus. You are the bridegroom, and we are your bride. We have been pledged to no other. And so we say, God, come and blow on our hearts again. Heal our hearts, God. Heal those broken places. Restore the joy of salvation. Restore our first love today, Father. We receive those things from you right now. We receive that from you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, we just know that because you're always near us, as we leave this place, we're gonna feel you. You're gonna go with us again, arm in arm. We're gonna skip out of here with you. Can't wait to spend more time talking to you this week. Monday morning, you're gonna to go to work with us, you're gonna to go to school with us. We're gonna show you off like you're our new boyfriend. You're going to show off like you're our new girlfriend. Look at this. Look who I've got. Creator of the universe. He loves me. He loves you. Thank you for your affections towards us, Abba. And as we go from this place today, we, God, we pray, Lord, that you... Would continue to just romance. That's the word I keep hearing. Just romance our hearts. Romance our hearts this week, God. And for the dudes, bromance us, God. Bromance us. And so, Father, I pray for us. I pray for that revelation to be deep this week and in the weeks to come. As you prepare this house for a move of heaven. She prepares, God. We will be a people who, who have returned to our first love, a people who put the first commandment first. I pray and I bless us, God, that we will grow in this and continue to move in the direction of heaven. We thank you for today. We bless you and we give you praise. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day.